Welcome to Furry Explained. I'm Finn, a big black cat from the internet, and Furry Explained is my show about furries and their culture. One of the earliest things that new members of the furry fandom do when they first join is to create a character of some sorts that represents them in the form of an anthropomorphic animal. This is usually referred to as a fursona, and while it's by no means a requirement to make one when joining the furry fandom, a vast majority of furries have some sort of character to refer to themselves for use in the context of the furry fandom. Doing this has a number of advantages, including more straightforward ones like keeping your real identity as concealed as possible, but can also allow for more complex interactions, like trying out a whole different personality on a character and portraying that to the broader furry audience to gain feedback from. It's a fun activity to partake in, and is one that many members of the fandom choose to do, sometimes even more than once. Some furries may have many characters that they may use, create, or discard based on how much they identify with them at any given time. Now, we've talked about this before, but we took a look at the process of coming up with a fursona at a very high level, and followed that up with some typical steps that are taken to generate a fursona for yourself. But one aspect of making a fursona that we kind of brushed over is one that happens to be one of, if not the most important decision one makes when choosing a fursona. The species. The species of someone's fursona is the base upon which everything else about that character is built atop of. Right after the name, it is one of the first aspects of the character that is introduced to others, and in a lot of cases, ends up being what people remember the most about a fursona, even more than the name itself. And it's a lot bigger decision than it may seem. It goes without saying that there are a lot of animals to choose from, and for some, there are even some certain stereotypes that come along with choosing a certain species, some that are more prevalent than others. So that's what we're going to try and explore today. In this episode, we're going to do two things that are related but still relatively separate from each other. First, we're going to try and explain the actual decision-making framework that goes into choosing a species of fursona. Then, we'll take a look at some of those species and explain some of the stereotypes that we briefly mentioned, and discuss why, while they can be a lot of fun, they don't have any real meaning beyond a harmless joke. This episode is more or less an experiment of trying to combine two related topics into one episode, so if it feels a little all over the place, I apologize in advance. But there's only one way to find out how it's going to go, so allow me to welcome you to Furry Explained, and we'll get started right here. So, like I said earlier, we're going to do things a little differently on this episode today. The typical format for this show is that we do the actual definition of the topic or the what first, and then go into the why or how the topic is impactful to the fandom as a whole. But I wanted to switch it up a bit this time and actually tackle the why first, because I think providing the overall context first will help keep this episode a little more intact. Because technically, we're going to be tackling two separate but related ideas here why furries choose certain species for their fursonas, and some of the stereotypes that some of those species have garnered over the years. 
which now that I think about it, are indeed pretty separate ideas, but I guess we'll try to explain them both in this episode. A two-for-one, if you will. But let's go into the first matter at hand, choosing a species of fursona. Like we previously mentioned before, it's kind of a big deal. It's the one aspect of the character that defines how the rest of the fandom interacts with it as a whole. Also, whether it's realized or not, it also affects a fair amount of decisions that are made in regards to the person behind the fursona interacting in the fandom as well. For example, someone might choose a certain artist or fursuit maker based on how well they create art of a certain species of animal. And even things like which species meetup a furry may choose to attend at a convention is implicitly determined by which species their character is. Which begs the question then, what actually goes into the decision-making framework that furries use to decide which species of fursona that they want to portray? Well, the foundation of the framework of choosing a fursona species is highly personal. There are no two fursonas that are exactly the same, and each one is a unique reflection of the actual person who created it. We've mentioned this before on the show, but a fursona is kind of an extension of a personality that someone wants to portray in the context of the furry fandom. It could be a mirror of their actual personality, or it could be a place to experiment with different aspects of life through a fantastical representation. But no matter how it's portrayed, the idea of a fursona is fundamentally tied to the person creating it. And that's not me talking out of my tail here, it's literally in the name, as a fursona is a furry-based persona. With this in mind then, it makes sense that some of the primary reasons why furries choose certain fursonas are all tied to their original creator in some way. And while this by no means is an exhaustive list, I feel like the ones that we're about to go over all tie into the idea that, if the goal of a fursona is to represent someone as an anthropomorphic animal, the animal itself that they choose is just as, if not even more personal than the character as a whole. But enough beating around the bush, let's explore some of the reasons why furries choose certain species. Now, just for reference, most of this information was pulled from one of my favorite furry research sources, Fur Science. I'll link to the study they did in the show notes, but I'll basically be rehashing their findings, as I found that they are pretty analogous to the other information that I've found on this whole choosing a fursona thing. But anyhow, one of the main reasons why furries choose a certain species for their fursona is the idea of having an innate connection with the animal in question. This by no means is a hard and fast rule, honestly none of them are, but even in the study done by Fur Science, a majority of their respondents said that their choice for a fursona was at least somewhat related to an innate connection with the real life version of that same animal. Now, this can be interpreted in a couple of different ways. The more nuanced way is that, while it may be difficult to quantify this with concrete statistics, I think there is something to be said for us humans having a deeper connection with certain animals that can't really be explained logically. We all either know someone, or maybe you're this person yourself, that just connects with certain animals. Now, this idea has been monetized in popular culture, the Dog Whisperer show comes to mind, but there are some people out there that just connect with certain animals better than others. 
They may always get a vocal response out of one when they talk to a specific species, or they may have a pet or an animal companion that they share some sort of heightened connection with. But the other, and in my opinion easier way to interpret this hypothesis, is that people just like certain animals more than others, and their affinity towards a certain species draws a natural, almost emotional response out of them. Now I can attest to this idea more than the former. I really love cats, especially the big ones. There's just something about the way they look, the way they move, and even the way they sound that fascinates me, to the point where I can easily get lost in time when reading about them, or looking at pictures, or otherwise immersed in learning more about them. To me, big cats are awesome in every sense of the word, insofar that they actually inspire me with their awe. And I don't think it's too far-fetched that other members of the fandom choose their fursona species from the emotional response that the mere existence of certain animals can give to them. A second explanation as to why furries choose a certain species for their fursona is the idea that they share certain characteristics with a specific species of animal. Now, this is a much more popular reason than the first one. According to the corresponding data from fur science, more than three-fourths of those who were surveyed said that this was at least somewhat of a reason why they chose their fursona species. And this one adds up pretty well. Shared characteristics is something that is easily identifiable and something that inspiration can quickly be drawn out of. And even though this is not considered the same as physical resemblance, I mean, us humans look a lot different than a majority of the other animals out there, a lot of these shared characteristics are physical in only a couple aspects and not the whole animal. For example, someone who is tall with longer legs may feel more connected to the main wolf. Something who appreciates the more heavy-set body type may choose something like a bear. And again, I can relate to this as well. Probably the biggest reason why I chose a panther for my fursona is because we both share the same characteristic of having darker skin, or fur in the panther's case. So much darker, in fact, that in both cases, a special name is used to categorize it away from the more general population. The term panther is used to separate the darker-furred jaguars and leopards from their more tannish-yellow counterparts, just as they use the term black to delineate humans who look more like me than our lighter-skinned but still fellow humans. Now that's a rather deep and nuanced example, but it's definitely in the same vein of relating to certain species of animals due to shared physical characteristics. Now, the last reason that we'll look at as to why furries may choose certain species for their fursonas is something that is connected to what we're going to be going over in the second half of this episode, but is still related to what we've already been talking about. The final reason is related to the more non-physical characteristics that certain animals have. This one typically resolves in connecting with certain personalities or traits that are associated with certain animals. Which, yes, sounds a lot like stereotyping, but if you do want to call it that, it's more stereotyping the real versions of the animals themselves, not their resulting fursonas. This is more along the lines of people choosing a dog or a wolf fursona because they associate with their supposed loyalty. 
or something like connecting with the idea of being sly with foxes, lazy with cats, or strength with bears. Now, this one doesn't really work with me personally, since despite choosing a big cat for my persona, I wouldn't categorize myself as lazy. But there's exceptions to prove any rule, and I think it's safe to say that choosing a non-physical characteristic that a certain species of animal has to relate to goes a long way when choosing a certain fursona species for a lot of furries. Now, like I said, this is by no means an exhaustive list, and it's not like you have to use one of these three areas in your decision-making framework for choosing a fursona. Like anything creative, different people go at it in different ways, and as long as you're happy with the outcome, the actual process of choosing an actual fursona can be abstracted away almost entirely. But that only tells a part of the story, because there is definitely another side to choosing a specific species for a fursona. You see, the furry fandom likes to take things and give their own spin on them. And one of the most prevalent ways that this is done is the fandom coming up with their own stereotypes for the variety of different personas that are out there. And if we want to be complete in our discussion about why people choose certain persona species, this is something that can't really be ignored. So we're not going to ignore it. Let's get into some furry species stereotypes after the break. Alright, so this should be a lot of fun. Going over furry species stereotypes is always amusing to me, because depending on who you ask or where you look, some are extremely accurate and some are not even close. Now, I'm not going to be the sole proprietor of providing the stereotypes that I'm about to go over. Personally, I don't think I've been in the fandom long enough to know not just a multitude of different fursona species personally, but multiple examples of that multitude to come to a clear consensus on a certain stereotype for each of them. So, yes, this is going to be a more generalized collection of stereotypes, which is fine by me because at the end of the day, this is all in good fun. None of these are meant to be taken seriously. In fact, if you happen to be one of the species that I'm about to mention and don't fit the stereotype, good on you. But even if you do, this is just another fun thing that the fandom likes to do to tease one another for our fursona decision. It's definitely nothing personal and hopefully there are no hard feelings. But with all of that in mind, let's get into some of the more popular fursona species and their more common stereotypes. And we'll get started with wolves because, well, they're everywhere. And because of that, they're considered to be kind of basic. They're more or less the default persona. And if you want to speedrun the process of getting into the fandom, making a wolf persona is your best bet. Wolves also like to act like they're dominant and even arrogant in some situations. But if you push them on that, they can fall back into submission pretty easily. But in actuality, it's kind of hard to stereotype wolf personas because they're everywhere and because of that, it can be hard to make themselves unique. But hey, maybe that's what they signed up for at the end of the day. Speaking of generic, let's get into foxes because they're also everywhere as well. 
they're pretty much the other default species, especially if they don't feel like they fit in with the whole alpha personality. Because foxes are not, they're commonly very, very submissive. They're sly and can get others to do what they want pretty easily, and definitely on the more promiscuous side as well, often unapologetically. Moving on from foxes, we have big cats, which is of particular interest to me since this is the category that I happen to fit into. And apparently, big cats are lazy, which to me is a lazy stereotype to come up with since all it does is just follow what actual big cats do. But I guess that more proves the point more than it does defend against it. Also, big cats are basically split down the middle when it comes to their level of overall dominance in various situations. Big cats are either very assertive and very willing to take charge in a variety of different ways, or very passive and don't mind being told what to do, to the point where it comes off as laziness like we just mentioned. And there's no in-between on this, big cats are either one or the other. But let's downsize a bit here and talk about the smaller cats, house cats if you will. Much like their bigger cat cousins, these smaller cats are still lazy, in fact in many cases even more lazy than the big cats. And while they may not be considered introverted, they love to stay indoors, so don't expect to meet a house cat that's too adventurous. They are much more comfortable chilling inside where it's warm and safe and peaceful. Speaking of peace, or in this case the polar opposite, we have rabbits. Rabbits are just chaotic. If we're using character alignments to describe rabbits, they would be either chaotic good or chaotic evil, with little room in between. Oh, and if you thought foxes were promiscuous, I think rabbits have them beat on a number of different levels regarding that side of persona stereotyping. While we're on the topic of chaotic, there are the dragon personas, but they're a little more nuanced in their chaos than rabbits are, as oxymoronic as they may sound. Sticking to the character alignment theme here, dragons can be considered chaotic neutral. They're definitely crazy and unpredictable, really enjoy the freedom of doing whatever they want, and can be difficult to calm down and deal with in general. But a lot of furs like that about them, and if you're fine with life being all over the place, then dragons will be fun to hang out with. Then we get to birds, which are some of my personal favorite because birds typically are nerds, like actual nerds. You may think you know a lot about a subject, but if you share an interest with a bird persona, they're going to have you beat on knowledge almost every single time. They're the type of nerds who have walls or entire rooms dedicated to a specific interest, filled with posters, figurines, or other pieces of merchandise related to that topic. And if you could keep pace with them in a conversation about something that they're interested in, you'd have to do something catastrophic to not make friends with them. Moving on, we have raccoons, which are another one of those species that are a little harder to analyze. They are relatively hard to pin down, and may like to stay indoors like house cats, but can be antisocial at times, as they value their personal space and belongings. They might require a little patience, but if you get to know them pretty well, they'll open up to you, which is something to not take for granted as they don't do it all that often. Also, some raccoons like to take the trope of liking trash and make it a part of their overall personality, which can be slightly amusing or rather disgusting, or both in many cases. 
Speaking of keeping to themselves, we have mice, which are your stereotypical introverts. They are usually very shy and very soft-spoken, but can be good listeners as a result. It's just very hard to get to know them in a public setting, and if you're even remotely loud, it'll be tough to strike up a conversation with one. But if you bring your voice down and hang out with one in a calm, quiet area, they can be some of the most interesting individuals you will ever meet, which most of them are, you just would never know it based on how quiet they are. Alright, two more to go. Let's go to hyenas, which are also one of my personal favorites. Hyenas are just fun to be around. They'll always put you in a good mood when you're around one and are quite easy to make laugh. So even if you don't have many jokes, even if they're slightly funny, you'll get a hearty laugh out of a hyena. And they'll often return the favor. They will do their best to make you laugh and are just good company to be around. Now, take the positive energy that hyenas have and apply it from a physical standpoint and you'll get the energy that kangaroos have. They're also really fun to be around, but they just don't stop moving. They hate sitting still and love to do physical activities, typically outside. As a result, they tend to be more athletic and might get frustrated waiting on those not as in shape as them to catch up to whatever they may be doing. But if you do get the chance to sit one down, they're also fun, positive individuals to be around. Now, as extensive as that list might have seemed, I definitely did not get to all of the stereotypes that are out there. There are some smaller ones that I missed, like how coyotes are very mature, almost to a fault, and how huskies won't shut up about their curl tails. Also, I tried to stay away from the more sexual species stereotypes. I alluded to a few of them actually, but if you really want to find them, they are out there for sure for you to discover. Again, all of the stereotypes are just that, stereotypes. They are all things that the fandom has come up with regarding fursona species over the years, and there is absolutely no proof to back any of this up. And while some fursona characters may play into their respective stereotypes more than others, your character or species or even yourself as an individual member of the furry fandom is not defined by any of these stereotypes. They are all in good fun, and something harmless that comes along with choosing a certain fursona species. Alright, that concludes this episode of Furry Explained. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I really hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something new today. As always, if you want to continue the conversation about fursona species stereotypes or have any other feedback for the show, you can find and follow me on Twitter. I'm at Finn the Panther, and a link to my Twitter is down in the show notes along with some other resources about fursona species stereotypes that you should definitely check out. Also, a quick reminder, we are off next Tuesday, but I will be back next Saturday with a special weekend bonus episode related to Pride Month. Don't worry, it'll have a connection to the furry fandom in some way, so if that sounds interesting, make sure you look out for that when it comes out. 
But as always, if you like the show and want to support it, the best way to do that is to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, make sure to give the show a rating and a review as well. You can also tell people about the show, and if they don't know where to start looking, you can point them to our little corner of the internet, furry-explained.com. Thank you so much for doing so, and we'll be back in two weeks for another episode of Furry Explained. But until then, stay wild out there. Peace.